Hey, everyone. If you're trying to become the best product manager that you could be, I hope you'll join us in Seattle on May 12th and May 13th for the Inclusive Product Management Summit. This is an opportunity to learn from professors, from leading product managers and product leaders across a wide variety of companies. We've got keynotes, workshops, and plenty of networking opportunities so you can meet the best, learn from the best, and become the best. Registration link is in the podcast description. And again, it's May 12th, May 13th here in Seattle, the Inclusive Product Management Summit. I'll be there, and I look forward to seeing you there too. Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. And we are at the Product Management Center, an opportunity for you to gain access to the cutting-edge knowledge in product management, to connect with diverse product management professionals, and find both community knowledge and a place to give back and shape the next generation. Speaking of shaping the next generation, wow, product managers in the future are going to have a different run than the product managers of the past because AI is coming. And today, we are going to talk about the ways that you, as an aspiring product manager or product manager, can use AI to not be replaced by it, but to channel it to find success as a product manager. And Red, I think we've got two amazing guests, but you started this podcast. Again, we're recording this as a podcast. It'll be released as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. And Red, you started this whole thing about two years ago, and you are going to help people share their opinions or get involved in today's conversation. I'd love for you to introduce yourself as founding advisory board member and how people can get involved today. Absolutely. But as long as you stop saying I started this, let's be clear. I was about to have a baby. You reached out and said, hey, I've added you to this thing to create more work for your life because who doesn't need more work when they're about to have a baby? Am I right, Jeff? Am I right? (laughs) That is right. So with that said, to make it easy for everybody who is here listening today, and as well as anyone who's listening to the podcast, we have the opportunity for you to stay involved on LinkedIn. Reach out to us. We want you to find us. So if you hear the name of someone who's speaking, if you want to reach out to us for advice, we have programming. We have different communities that are continuing to grow, not just on LinkedIn, but elsewhere. But what matters most is, and I'll just tell you this straight up, the reason I continue to stay involved is because product management hasn't hit the point it needs to hit where every school in the world has a program to help somebody become a product manager. Not someone who can use ChatGPT, Jeff, but for someone to actually learn what it takes to actually become what it takes to launch great products, great customer experiences globally, and do it in a way that's not biased. So with that in mind, if you're someone who has questions, if you're someone who's curious how to break into this world, know that we are passionate. And in about 15 to 20 minutes, we're going to open up the microphone for you to get involved on stage. So if you have a question, please reach out to me right here on LinkedIn. If it's already after the show and you're listening to the podcast, you can reach out to me with questions, but I'm not the right person to answer them. The best people to do that would be those speaking today. So maybe you can tune in every other Tuesday, but we're here every Tuesday to tune in every Tuesday at 12 p.m. PST, that is Pacific Standard Time, proud Seattleites over here, Jeff, to answer questions for you live today on the show. And we are humans. Let me just reiterate, not AI. 
Back to you, Jeff. <laughs> that would be cool. I mean, we are coming to the point where I could just have AI ask our questions of our guest and run this show. I actually it ran them. It wouldn't have your sense of humor, Jeff. It wouldn't have your sense oh, of humor. I can never be replaced is what you're saying. Thank you, Red. I appreciate that. You can't either. So if anybody has questions, we're going to have a moment. Or if you have comments, if you want to share what AI tools you're using and how, uh, we're going to get to that in about 20 minutes. But right now, we have Anar who joined us for a conversation about AI a couple weeks ago and said she has some tips to share as well. And Anar, before we get to those tips about using AI to succeed as a product manager, can you please just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in product management? Yeah, sure. Hi. Hi, everyone. Very excited to be on the show. Thank you, Jeff, for making that possible. So uh, my journey in product management started uh, very early on. I uh, moved from an engineering role into product management after I got my MBA. And I also was a founding member of the Silicon Valley Product Management Association. Um, that really helped me to understand sort of what product managers do and start helping other product managers. And I've been in this profession since. So I'm a software product leader with over 10 years experience in defining high growth products, leading product teams and growing businesses. I've taken products from zero to one and grown businesses both organically by building products as well as inorganically via partnerships and acquisitions. In my most recent role at Lovingly, I led the product team, which comprised of product managers, designers, data analysts, and uh, SEO, CRO, optimization experts. So we built an online gifting platform and a two-sided marketplace, which connects shoppers to local florists. Prior to Lovingly, I have built and led product teams at startups that were either acquired or went public and at larger companies. And on a personal side, I live in the Bay Area, and my hobbies are dance, fitness, gardening, and investing. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Anar. That was one of the tightest, here's who I am, here's what I've done, here's why you should listen to me that I've ever heard. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. Glad to have you and your wealth of experience here to sharing that with the audience. And then our other guest here, James, is not a product manager, but is going to give us some insights into cutting-edge research that could help all of you. So James, tell us a little bit about who you are and why we should listen to you today. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. So yeah, so my name is James Brand. I'm an economist, a senior researcher at Microsoft. My background is I received my PhD a couple of years ago in economics from the University of Texas. And my research there was really focused on so-called demand estimation. So using real data on the prices and demand for different products that we see to learn something about customer preferences. And there's a lot of economic models of conversations of how to do that. And my research tries to contribute to that. Something I've been interested in for a long time and that was involved in that research was developing the right tools to help economists and other researchers and data scientists to allow them to use data to quickly learn those preferences without having to write a ton of code themselves or learn as much of the modeling themselves. And so I think, you know, the reason I'm here in part is because some of my work at Microsoft often involves dealing with all kinds of interactions with uh, business planners and product managers for a huge variety of products. And we're often trying to understand something about customer preferences, either by interviewing them directly, surveying them, or by using the real data, their actual purchases. And I think that there's a lot of room here to try to learn something from LLMs that we might not otherwise be able to learn as easily. So I'll stop there and you know not dive too deep into the research. All right, James, thanks for being here. And this is cool because James has a paper that uh, looks at how well, how you could use ChatGPT for demand estimation and price sensitivity estimation. Did I capture that correctly, James? 
Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. That's all right. right. All right. So, so not only are you going to hear how Anara is using AI tools to succeed as a product manager, you're going to get some brand new results that are hot off the press about how well ChatGPT can help you think about whether there's demand and what kind of price sensitivity there may be. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But Anar, I'd love to just get a bit of an overview. Since our listeners are both product managers and aspiring product managers, if you could just kind of structure what you're doing. First, let us know a little bit about the your workflow as a product manager and where you're plugging AI directly into those workflows. Yeah. In terms of my workflow as a product manager, right, I would start with sort of Perhaps I'll just talk about the workflow a little bit, and then I'll talk about the six buckets where I use AI tools. So in terms of the workflow, it starts with sort of research and market analysis and opportunity analysis. And from then we go into sort of prototyping, ideation, and design. Then it uh, goes into validation and then uh, development. If we've successfully passed the validation stage, then development and then eventually launch and release. And that is where we also measure how we are doing and then feeds back into that stage where we iteratively improve our products. Uh, In terms of how I use product management along these different areas, I would put them into six buckets, how I use the AI tools. So there are different tools I use. There are, I use ChatGPT and Bing Chat. Then I use Dolly and I also use Copilot. Because I also like to code, That's although that's more for fun. In terms of the, I'll first start with ChatGPT and Bing Chat. The primarily six buckets of tasks that I would put them, that I use them for. The first one is conversational tasks. It's things like preparing FAQs and uh, responding to customer reviews, providing customer support. These are things that, you know, as you're responding to customers, you can quickly use these tools to make yourself more efficient. The next task is writing tasks, where I use ChatGPT, for example, to generate text for various purposes, such as article writing, content creation. I use it to write emails to customers and partners, writing product descriptions, also making writing standard operating procedures for various departments. One of the things that I've done in my department and we've done across all other departments of the company as well as to write standard operating procedures that incorporate best practices. On that need to be followed and how products are defined, developed, and launched. Then writing birthday messages and poems, also taking the written text and making it more concise. I use it for research tasks. This is the very starting point, right, where we are first researching a new product concept. And you can use this in research tasks by providing information and answering questions on a wide range of topics. So, for example, I've used it in the past. I was coming up with expanding the product line to introduce new products. And I wanted to know about the different laws in in all the different 52 states in terms of which states would allow sales of this particular type of product and what the different laws were, what the taxation laws were, etc. And I found ChatGPT to be immensely useful, something that was taking me at least one day to research each state, I could manage to collapse that into just one day to research half of the the 52 states. It was just a two-day task. And then all I did was spot check and validate. I found that to be immensely helpful. We've used this to uh, develop personas and creation of personas because we use these personas and user stories. 
for example, I would say create a florist persona. And there was a time I remember where ChatGPT said, oh, florists have, for example, they studied this, they have this Bachelor of Arts degree in, in floristry or something like that. And I had to feed in real world information that most florists don't have bachelor degrees. And then ChatGPT refined the persona. So we start with the personas, but then we also refine them based on real world experience from the field. And I found that to be very useful. Again, things that used to take a very long time, we were able to collapse that into just a couple of minutes, if not hours. I've used it in brainstorming tasks, which can be used to generate new ideas and solutions when you give it a problem uh, or situation. And then once you present a problem, it would also help you generate solution options. I can use it for assessing pros and cons of the options. Um, I've also used it in brainstorming and creating user surveys. So for example, we often create surveys and give shoppers these surveys where we created, for example, a Valentine's Day survey to the shoppers. And ChatGPT is very helpful in, in creating surveys, very quickly creating surveys, and then you can always edit them. So it's immensely helpful there. Evaluation tasks. So you can evaluate text for various purposes, such as checking grammatical and spelling errors, providing feedback on the quality of the content, and then planning tasks. I use it also personally in planning and organizing things like menus, dinners, parties. And so to summarize, I've used ChatGPT and Bing Chat, and I think that product managers would find these exceptionally useful for all of these six buckets of tasks, conversational tasks, writing, research, brainstorming, evaluation, and planning. Besides that, I use Dolly. I've used Dolly for creating images, and I use these images for visual storytelling, using them in my slides and presentations for um, storytelling. And then I've also generated those images to talk to and explain to product designers some of the ideas that I'm thinking about. And uh, we've used that to prototype new products. And then lastly, marketing and advertising. So you can also generate product images for marketing purposes. So those are the things that are helpful to product managers. Now on the other side, I also code for fun. And I've been using Copilot with ChatGPT. And then um, our engineering team has also started to use that. Uh, but we've been using Copilot with ChatGPT and in, it's used in code generation. So you can basically give a natural language description of the code that needs to be written using ChatGPT. And then Copilot can then assist in generating the actual code based on those descriptions. Similarly, you can use it to optimize the code, debug it, and then document it. Overall, this combination can help you write a better code as well. I highly recommend it to the development team. All right, Anar, this is excellent. So you've given the audience a great number of ideas of where they could start using AI in their workflows for being more efficient and effective. We're going to double click on a couple of those in a moment. And anybody from the audience, if you wanted to ask Anar a specific question about anything that she just said, raise your hand. We'll get you up on stage. We'll do it a little out of order. There was a lot of ways that she's using AI tools, and we want to double click on the ones that you want to hear about. So if you have a question for Anar, uh, raise your hand now. We'll get you up on stage. But first, James, Anar said she could use ChatGPT for research, and you have data to suggest whether that's a good idea or not. I'd love for you to just quickly describe what your research was, what you found, and how you found it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so, so I think the starting point of our research here is that a lot of the kind of popular discussion of 
LLMs in general has been on a kind of individual productivity level basis. A lot of the examples that we just heard are kind of, you know, an individual inter- interacting with a chat-like interface of some kind, or, you know, I'm, I'm prompting for a specific need. I want to produce something for my own work, you know, and then it's text. I want it to be edited, et cetera. Uh, what we hadn't seen yet was kind of this, this, I think, challenging question from a research angle, which is if I ask or in any way try to elicit information about the sort of underlying customers on which the LLMs were trained, right? There's text on the internet, everyone's a customer, you know, there's a lot of a lot of text on the internet of, of people describing products. And so if I try to pull some information out of any of these LLMs, is that information going to be reliable? So in our paper, when the paper is written with Ayelet Israeli, who's at Harvard Business School, and Donald Nway, who's with me at Microsoft. And in our paper, we try to tackle kind of this, this question of reliability in two dimensions. So the first is just do the responses of GPT-3 in our case, kind of conform to the predictions of standard economic models. And by that, we'd mean really simple things like if I offer GPT a pair of products and I then continue to raise the price of one of the products, is GPT less likely to choose the product as I increase the price, right? So does it understand that demand curves are downward sloping, that people dislike prices? And then kind of, can I prompt GPT to behave as certain customers and still maintain that type of behavior, that economic behavior, where if I raise the price, you're less likely to to purchase it. And we study a couple of other behavioral pieces within that that I'm happy to dive into. But then I think the second category of reliability that we try to touch on is now, okay, it's great if the directionally things are true, things kind of hold up. So sure, when I raise the price of something, GBT says it's less likely to buy it. But kind of are the quantities, the real implied customer preferences there, kind of consistent with what, what, with what I would find if I went out and actually interviewed the customers themselves, rather than going through this kind of odd intermediate step of using LLMs. And in case it's not clear, you know, maybe it is to everyone here, but our idea and the reason you would you would hope that it is useful to use these LLMs for this purpose is because it's incredibly cheap to do this. So it might cost tens of thousands of dollars to go out and run a complicated conjoint analysis of surveying a few thousand customers for various options and paying someone to do the analysis and build a simulator. On GPT-3, you could query 10,000 customers in a couple of hours and do all the analysis for $5 or something like that. And so when we put it through this second test, we compare the elicited customer preferences from GPT-3, where we basically just survey it as if it were a customer and then treat the resulting data as if it were from a survey. We do exactly the same analysis we would have done with a customer survey, and we find that the estimates we get match up really closely, kind of surprisingly closely in some cases, to estimates that come from real customers. And so we think in both of these ways, GPT-3 is kind of surprisingly reliable as a way to learn something about customer preferences. And then now I think there's this, a lot of opportunity to think about exactly how far can that be pushed and exactly how or which ways should we query that information to make sure that we're getting kind of truth out of it. So I'll stop there. That is mind-blowing. So I don't want to rubber stamp that and say, instead of interviewing your customers, interview AI. But I do want to double-click on that and ask, like, what kind of prompts are you doing to make sure that the surveys that you used are at least matching to the data in, in your specific case? So I think people have to kind of test this out. And maybe it's a starting point, not an end point. But it's mind-blowing that this could be a, a valuable and, and maybe somewhat close to reality starting point. So please tell me a little bit more about the prompts you could use to survey chat GPT instead of customers. 
Right. So, I mean, so I first of all agree completely that it's a starting point and not an end point. I would not recommend grabbing one of our prompts and just assuming that whatever's going to come out is going to be true in your own scenario. But we have some thoughts in the paper about how you might kind of carefully calibrate your prompting to your own setting and then extrapolate from that. And I think we're, we're working on continuing work to, to try to hone some of those ideas further. We did do a little bit of testing. And I think our goal here, we didn't do a ton of prompt engineering. So that's what I'll say. You know, our goal was really to find a kind of baseline prompt structure that we could then put a ton of different experiments through and make sure that that kind of we're not putting our fingers on the scale for each individual experiment. And so the prompt structure that we ended up finding was fairly successful for most of these experiments was one in which we say to GPT, <laughs> imagine or a customer has been randomly selected while shopping in the blank aisle of the supermarket, you know, yogurt aisle or something like that. When they get to the yogurt aisle, they see the following options. And then we list the options that are available to them. And then they also obviously have the choice not to purchase anything among these two options. And then we just ask, we say the customer is asked by a researcher or asked, however, at the end of their shopping experience, did you purchase either of these goods? And if so, which one did you purchase? And then we kind of provide GPT a slot where it can input the customer's response and we parse those responses after the fact. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if that was a pause or if that was the end. So that, wow. Okay. So Anar, before we get to an audience question, do you have any questions for James about either the prompts he used or the study or how he would recommend other people use that study in practice? I'm just amazed to hear this, you know, truly. So I'm still mulling over it and I'm amazed to hear how he is using it. That opens up because the, one of the most difficult tasks as a product manager faces is to really, especially when you are selling to consumers, is to gather that data, to be able to survey them, figure out how to survey them, especially when it's something like what James just said, walking down different aisles in a grocery store, et cetera, and gather all of this data. And to the extent that it can be as close to uh, more and more accurate, and we have these models uh, driving towards that, that would really transform how we gather insight relatively quickly. So yeah, I'm just amazed by what I heard. Yeah, I'm kind of in shock. So real quick, James, where could people find this paper if they wanted to dig into what you did, what you found, and then they could interpret how they could, might do the same? Is there a way they could find the paper? It should be linked on my LinkedIn. It's also on my website, and it's also on SSRN. The title of the paper is Using GPT for Market Research. All right. Thank you, James. We're going to let other people double click on what they're curious about. So I've got a, Red and I have a million questions as it relates to AI, using AI as a product manager, but we want to make sure that your questions are answered. So Red, if you could, uh, I already invited a couple people on stage, remind them, well, I, I'm just doing it now. It's recorded. It's released as the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. So recognize it's recorded. And then Red, tell them the rules. Do your thing. <laughs> yes. I should repeat everything you said as an additional disclaimer. But as a heads up, this is your chance to ask a question. As long as you are not a doctor, a veterinarian, I'm just kidding. Those people have shown that they are welcome on stage to talk about product management, Jeff. We've learned over the weeks. But, oh, wait, you're chiming in, Jeff. Well, we just have 140. We have like hundreds of people here who've never heard you before. They were just drawn by the subject. So they don't know that the story for like two years is <laughs> during audience questions. You're like, anybody but a dentist. And then we had a dentist who wanted to get into product management. And that's, I just needed to give the backstory. Now it's funny to everybody. Well, 
you know what? Some people love the dentist. Others don't. It's just a 50-50 shot. I could be saying the wrong thing. And we lost a question, but we have someone with an incredibly golden background and a great smile. Shantanu, the stage is yours. What is the question? How can we help? Hit on mute and rock and roll. Thank you so much, Fred. I think this question is directed to James. When you said you are asking questions to chat GPT-3 to get the user research. So as a product manager, I also do a lot of user research. So I'm trying to understand how do you do you, one, do you give them persona by default and then you ask the question and two, if you do, when you're compiling everything, do you kind of call it out that all the solutions or all the answers were generated by chat GPT or how do you go about kind of clubbing everything together? I see. So the persona angle, I think, is one that we think is interesting. We explore that a little bit where we provide the, the sort of GPT customer with incomes. We tell it a customer is randomly selected, you know, while shopping. It turns out that their income is $50,000 per year. And then we proceed to ask the question and then we can provide different incomes. And we, we find some interesting results where that type of information does change things. And in terms of how to, I guess your second question is something about, well, I'm not sure I totally understand it. What I'll say is certainly we think that this data is different than real data. And it's probably important to, it's certainly important to disclose exactly where it's coming from. And it shouldn't be treated at this state as if the data came from real customers. Did I answer your question or did I? Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, okay. James. Thank you. All right. So we've got somebody else on stage. I do want to ask then interject Red, if I may, for Anar and James, what are about the ethics behind using AI tools? Like we talked about this a, a, a little bit further back on a, a recent podcast, but how forthcoming are you? Is like your companies, or, or should companies be supportive and pay for subscriptions? Is this kind of still a dirty little secret in the short run? That's a really terrible way to ask this question. Red, help me out here, man. I'm drowning. I'm enjoying this personally. For all the times that you've made ready jokes, I'm just, I'm actually going to sit here and say, this is recorded. And I'm, I'm going to break out popcorn, Jeff, and listen to that question a thousand times over. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me get into ChatGPT and rewrite the question using some, some computer AI. That's what I'm going to do. There you go. Yeah. Please do that. Anyway, Anar and James, how do we wrestle with the disclosure ethics and acceptability of using AI? Any thoughts on that? That's kind of a mess of a hornet's nest of a question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts of what that spurs. And before we let the hornets out of the nest, so to speak, there is a uh, caveat here. If your company is totally for it and willing to fund it, that's very important to share because right now there's people that are using it without permission and putting their company data in. And then there are other people that are having their companies give them R&D budgets. So, you know, give us some hope for all the listeners today. What is your experience and how do the ethics tie into that? Sure, I can take that uh, and start. So I'm an early adopter of all technologies and I'm always playing with the latest trends and technology. And I was very pleased that the company founders, when I worked at Lovingly, the, the founders as well, they like to think of the technology and they actually set up a channel and encouraged everybody in the company to join that and share how they're using AI and made it, made it uh, one of your OKRs to actually use uh, AI tools to become more efficient at your work. And so that really helped because that actually jump-started everything. It got not just the early adopters like me, but also some of the laggards on board and everybody was sharing their use cases and getting excited. 
So I thought that that was, and overall, it really made everybody much more productive. I had a subscription to ChatGPT4. I was using that. Our development team was also started, had also started to use Copilot, which I had a subscription to as well. So in terms of the company where I worked, everybody was totally in towards using these tools to become more productive, more efficient, figure out new ways of doing things and also look at what were the new problems that we could solve using this and come up with new product ideas. I love that. And we had a comment that was off the record in a previous podcast, so it wasn't out for the rest of the world, only for the people who kept listening to the end here. Uh, Somebody said, you know, if we're not open and accepting of it in some degree and letting people be honest about their use, then you have this risk of not knowing what they're getting and how they're getting it. And I think product management, it's really important to not just know the, the why, but the how. And so having some acceptance of it is what our guest last time had said. And so that's great to see. Red, your job to keep managing the stage and to manage me now. I think I need to be managed because I'm chiming in with <laughs> useless rambles. No, you were great. You uh, brought out the correct bee's nest. I tasted only honey with that question, my friend. It was so sweet. Uh, Dan Smith, normally, in addition to inviting, you know, dentists on stage and saying, well, I don't want dentists, I usually am always fearful of those who don't have a profile photo showing to me. I'm going to assume that LinkedIn just doesn't want me to see who you are because you're a real human, but we're not connected. So I'm going to take a risk here, Dan. I usually don't share people on stage that have two concentric circles and no face. But my hope is that you can represent that well with a great question. So with that in mind, click on mute, prove me wrong, and ask away. <laughs> There's like no pressure there at all then, Red. Okay, well, I'll have a look at my settings. It's probably me. User error. Well, I could yeah. ask ChatGPT why later on. <laughs> so I, I've got some um, uh, government clients that I'm working with, and we are unbelievably delayed by a persistence to look at historical methods to elicit data from users And what James was saying earlier on made me think there's a massive application here that we could use across many government departments to speed up the process of getting to the the nib or the nub of what we're trying to achieve for that end goal. So I just wondered if anybody had worked with, you know, government, UK or anywhere else, and whether or not ChatGPT or any functions of AI had come up in discussions and whether or not there is a, a potential appetite in the future to leverage this, what I think is a really powerful tool. From a government perspective, we're about to unlock a Pandora's box, so to speak, when it comes to ethics and choice of using unvetted or untested technology with information that represents the people. So James, maybe this is something you've experienced with Microsoft being, you know, more on the research side. Has this come up in conversation? Have you experienced this before? I think that everybody is trying to figure out how exactly to, you know, to make these things work, you know, so, so I don't know that how many specifics I should really go into. I think that we're all still learning exactly how to do it, right? There's lots of times where you want to run, you want to learn something about customer preferences that doesn't involve anything about your own company, right? And so there's sort of not very many compliance issues or one company you can insert a government for company, right? There doesn't have to be anything kind of private or restrictive, but in other cases, you have to include some sort of information about the new thing you're designing or considering and there are huge issues that come up there with the government i'm sure there are very you know particular issues that come up when you're dealing with a government agency that unfortunately i can't really speak to well dan it's not to say that the answer doesn't exist the big thing is and we had a conversation about chat gpt in previous weeks about government it's still so new that i think there's no precedence that is being shared or at least 
maybe there's a government contract that has suppressed our ability to share it on stage here. So with that in mind, if you want, and I highly recommend this, post it on LinkedIn, ask the question, get lucky. And if you see any great stories and you want to come back to the show and share it, we are absolutely interested in seeing how we can close the loop with this one. This is the future. Let's see if we can bring it full circle. Sounds brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, to seeing you in not too concentric circles in future conversations. Thank you, Dan. On to our next question. We have Michael. I can see you. Your face is absolutely there. And I'm excited that you have automation in your title. So this should be interesting. The microphone is yours, my friend. What is the question? How can we help? Good afternoon, folks. So my question is actually around recent articles I had read in various publications looking at how ChatGPT actually is answering questions differently based, of course, on who is uh, writing it or sourcing it. And I'll take the, uh, the easy angle for the audience here of, let's say, political, you know, whether it's uh, left-leaning or right-leaning, just to keep the conversation easy. And it seems like there could be a bias, left-leaning or right-leaning, based on, you know, the, the, how the question is asked and who created the algorithms in the back end. So my question is around, you know, how do we identify that? How do we label correctly and offer that as a full disclosure that there certainly could be a bias and therefore ChatGPT is not truly objective? And I don't mean that inflammatory, by the way. So please don't take it that way. I'll say it's interesting that you bring up the the political angle, if only because that's one place where there's some work already yeah, being done, which maybe these are the papers you're referring to, but uh, there's some work where you know, they try to query answers to political questions from one of the GPT interfaces. And so far, my read of that literature has been that they've been able to match kind of the accurate distribution of leanings or answers to those questions, at least in the United States. And But I think, I mean, I think your point is important. And I think that high level question is, if I don't provide any context to GPT and I just ask a question, in particular, if I'm caring about customer preferences, there's not a great way, I think, out of the box yet to know exactly what distribution it's pulling from. So I think that kind of any use of any GPT version to learn something that you want to be representative of a particular set of customers should come with, should be paired with enough context and i mean context in the kind of literal sense like providing gpt with enough information to understand the type of customer that you're trying to learn about to make sure that that it's pulling from the customers you think it is so i think that's an important thing to think about in almost any application of this terrific thank you so much and and i also think about another example i believe the the research were at researchers excuse me were asking questions around religion and so depending on you know, again, how the question might be phrased gave it a unique answer with a religious perspective. So again, not trying to be inflammatory. It was a very curious piece. Well, curiosity has been struck today on stage, Michael. Appreciate the question. Between you and Dan, we have a really good start in terms of momentum for great questions. Anar James, thank you so much. There is another question we have coming up on stage. Uh, we have Sophia. Sophia, not only is this, by the way, for those who listen in and can't see what we see, certain people love to take their LinkedIn photos and crop their background so it's white and then it looks like their head is just floating in the clouds on top of a white background. So Sophia, 
That's the real photo, absolutely in the clouds. No pressure in your question. But uh, please, how can we help today? You could hear my laughing, right? <laughs> Just make sure I'm unmuted now. Can you? Yes, absolutely. I okay. Red feeds off okay. laughter, so thank you for giving him that. Thank you. I actually have noticed, never noticed my white background. Thanks for pointing it out. Now I know. So this question kind of goes back to the ethics topics we just heard. I heard Anna's story example of how your company utilizing GPT, but I, my question kind of still remains. I wonder if there are some more clarification we have that. The question I have is, do we have some sort of statement or our validation from GPT that how they absorb the information from users' questions? Or are there some suggested guide rail, guardrails or guidelines on for companies, what information you should input, what a question you can or not. Like there are some papers studying around that. I would appreciate resources on that. That's my question. So if you have a clarifying question, Anara James, please lean in. Otherwise, yeah, either of you suitable for an answer. But Anara, I'll jump to you first. Just like to mix things up. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question in terms, I think that that is something that the governments even, uh, as well as companies, are still trying to figure out. I think the only observation from having used it and from companies that are using it is that the guidance to employees is not to give too much of company confidential information and put that into ChatGPT because you don't know how that information, where it's going and how it is going to be used later. This is Obviously, they're going to become part of the training data in future, and it would be used by ChatGPT. So that is the only caveat. And th these are some things that companies and governments are now starting to think about. All right, bringing it back to you, Sophia. Any thoughts on that answer? Thank you, Anar. So I guess, yeah, that makes sense. I think I definitely look forward to hearing more on this direction because I can see that why we all got really amazed by what GPT stores over there database or what they can do. I'm, I think definitely like for individual users, we have to be very cautious of how we use it. Like my question asking there could be utilized by another user, like depends on how they train their model, how quickly they will update the information, right? So thank you, everyone. Thank you. Appreciate your question. Red, I'm going to chime in because I, I, I have a question. We've talked a little bit about the ethics and high level. How much is it adopted? We also had both of them share some specific details. I want to go deeper so that somebody who comes away from this can have like a very specific, ooh, I could do this and this will happen. So Anar, can I put you on the spot and just, can you share a success story or any specific prompts that you used and how you feel like that actually worked well and what gave you the confidence? What kind of outcomes did you observe that helped you realize that maybe we want to pass this on to others? Uh, sure. Let me give this a second to think about it because I've used it in so many scenarios. I would say that the big success story, one of the ways where how I used it is really in generating these standard operating procedures. And so there was, it's for my company, we had a mandate in actually having and documenting the standard operating procedures for how the departments did their work and basically documenting the best practices so that tomorrow when somebody new joins the department or joins your team, 
they can just jump right in. They have these best practices to follow that are clearly documented, and then they can get going. And that helps the whole team. It basically makes the whole team more efficient and increases the output of the team. So in that particular case, you know, I had to create specific prompts in chat GPT. So I would say in the product management life cycle, this is the product management life cycle. I would lay out all the different stages. And I would say in this stage, you know, there is, for example, we do um, planning, research, ideation, etc. And I, I laid out each of the stages and I said, create a standard operating procedure for product managers to follow that goes through these stages. And in each of these stages, we do these things. And this is how we measure success, for example, et cetera. So I gave it those prompts and it started generating a really good set of guidelines to follow and documentation that I could then post into the intranet in the company. And that then that created a good first draft, which I would then modify and update and refine. So that is one example. I, I then took that and said, okay, you know, now I want to create a slide that actually shows all of these stages. And I wanna assign different colors to each stage. So what color should I pick? And it was very interesting because ChatGPT came up with color recommendations. For example, for the ideation stage, you pick this color because this reflects you know, inspiration and thinking and such. I don't remember all the details right now, but that's exactly how I used it. And so I used that to document the procedure and then create slides out of that and then actually communicate that to the team and the company. So that's an example of using something and really collapsing the time that it took to do that. Another example was I mentioned checking the different laws in all the different states. So I started thinking about what prompts to use and prompt it in a way that it would give me the information for each stage. For example, for this state, you know, for each of the states, are we allowed to sell this type of a product? And what are the tax laws, both for the gifter as well as the recipient? as well as the company that actually enables that sale. And these were interesting things because things that took me would have taken over a month to do. I could actually accomplish that in two days. And then I just had to validate and spot check. So these are some examples. Excellent. Thank you. We have time for another question if anybody has one. So raise your hand if you want to come up on stage. And a quick shout out to all the loyal listeners that I see out there. Thanks for joining us again. And then James, do you have any specific recommendations that you would give to somebody who's considering using ChatGPT as they are going through those steps that Anar talked about up front in bringing products to market and testing them and improving them? I think the highest or the maybe first priority is essentially to, I guess it's an iteration between prompting and validation. So I think there's maybe the thing you want to learn is if I offer this new product, what will be the demand for that product, right? Or at which price point should I place the product? I think the only way you can know to be able to trust GPT is if you've used very similar prompts that you plan to use for this exercise to ask questions that you already know the answer to, right? So maybe you know the demand for a product that you sell already. And I think what one would want to do is use GPT iteratively 
changing your prompt until it's answering in a way that's consistent with what you think is the truth in the domain that you know something about. And then try to change as little as possible to get into the domain that you want to learn something new about. What I just described is essentially a so-called calibration exercise, which is what I where I think the kind of academic version of this will go at some point. But I think it's just really important to think about how am I establishing that the answer is going to be trustworthy, at least on average, or some other metric that we really care about. All right. Thank you, James. Red, you get a chance to do your thing one more time. Are you ready to manage the stage? So ready. Oh, my goodness gracious. Let's bring him up. Oh, my goodness. And LinkedIn again with showing me no faces. Madhu, I can't validate whether or not you are human or AI. My hope is that when you unmute, the voice that comes out will be that of a voice of an angel that has a question in the final 10 minutes of our show. Madhu, no pressure. The stage is yours. Uh, so I had uh, two important points. One is uh, in the early part of the discussion, the chat GPT being used to get the customer uh, uh, survey, right? Or customer experience. And a uh, few minutes back, I also heard about various uh, laws for uh, product related uh, activities, right? So in all these cases, has the user uh, ensured that the chat GPT has been trained in those uh, domains? For example, international laws and all, right, about the product. We have to make sure whether the chat GPT has been trained in those specific domains. Suppose you are inquiring about the US laws or uh, China, right? Chat GPT should have been uh, trained in that. Otherwise, what we get may not be a valid uh, response. So how do people make sure that chat GPT has the information or the knowledge of those domains before using it? So that's a good question. You know, ChatGPT has been trained on the internet. What's the content that's available on the internet up to, you know, a certain time frame. So then the main gap is between that time frame and now, right? Uh, and then also regarding the countries, I was only looking at the U.S data i was not looking at international data but you bring up a good point we don't know about international law and i actually i don't know whether it has been trained on the international laws or not but it does not substitute going back and validating and checking but when you actually draw this information then you can and for example with bing chat you can even get citations right so you know actually you can go back and check and validate that information. And that is something that you do need to do, but the task becomes easier. So this is exactly what I was trying to understand or bring to the highlight. So people should know that what is the timeline or the duration under which the data has been fed into the chat GPT, that is within what time uh, time zone or not, not time zone, but a uh, period of time, okay? The data has been fed into chat GPT number one. And uh, what is the extent of its knowledge? Is it only located to local to US or is it international or Europe? See, that kind of understanding is required before we put a query and get an answer and take it for granted. That's a caution I think everyone has to use before using this kind of uh, general technologies, which are not fine-tuned to our own specific domain or our own specific company, et cetera. So at this stage, I just want to be sensitive to the time. I do thank you so much for providing us with a very cautious tale of being aware of the importance of the source of the data, the training of the data, the timeline of the data, as well as replacing the battery on potentially a smoke alarm that might no longer be working. So 
For those of you who are looking to make sure that you protect your home as well as your data, we have our guests to thank. Jeffrey, back to you, my friend, because at this stage, with the only amount of time that we have left, I want to make sure that everybody who is on stage gets the opportunity, speakers specifically, to provide their final thoughts. So back to you. Thank you, Red. <laughs> you had me in stitches there. All right. So at the end of the day, I want to make sure people know the purpose of this show today. We realize that AI tools are becoming more and more valuable and important to product management. And we also know that there's not enough insight into how to use them effectively and what effectively is. So we wanted to, one, bring you some cutting-edge research from James and his colleague at Harvard his colleague at Harvard and his colleague at Microsoft. So bring you some cutting-edge research that's evaluated exactly how well it could do certain things. And we wanted to have some specific tasks that could seed your imagination. But we also appreciate Madhu and everybody who said, whoa, and also our questions about the ethics of saying, whoa, is this the right thing to be doing? So we're not endorsing any of how you use AI, but we want to give you the thoughts to think. <laughs> that was terrible. We want to give you some food for thought. We want to give you some ideas of how they're being used, some questions about how they should be used. And then we hope that you will come back, the audience, and share with us and, and be open. And, and let's all learn this together because it is game changing. And if we're afraid to use new technology, we could be left behind. So we want to make sure that we're using new technology effectively, but also ethically. With that, I want to give concluding thoughts to Anar and James. Anar, do you want to, what do you want to leave the audience with? Well, I, I would like to encourage everybody on the call to uh, go and try it out, especially those who have not been using it. I do think that it can help you become find new ways of doing things. And as a product manager, especially the one thing that I you'd like to, I'd like to have everyone start thinking about is what kinds of problems can we solve that exists but now can be solved easily with tools like ChatGPT and other AI tools. And what kind of products can we build to solve those problems? All right. Thank you, Anar. Appreciate you being here. And yes, hopefully you're willing to connect with people. Hopefully if they have further questions about what you're doing, they can connect with you offline. And then James, thank you for being here. What do you want to leave the audience with? I think, you know, just just to kind of think about the things that are most interesting to me. The thing that's most exciting to me is kind of pushing along this this direction of research that I think our paper is participating in, which is how can we learn things about the real world, about real people through this kind of very new and unusual interface. And I think our paper does that does one version of that where we're surveying customer preferences, but there are a, there's a lot of interesting work out there that's kind of in progress or very fresh about having fake GPT generated agents interacting in economic markets and seeing how they behave in those ways. And I think that there's probably a thousand different ways forward. I just think that the kind of as product managers, that's really the, the heart of the question is how do you use this tool, I think, to learn something real about the people that you want to touch with your product? That's what I'm excited about moving forward. All right. Thank you, James. Thank you, Anar. Appreciate you being here. Red, thank you for starting the podcast, not the Product Management Center. That was a collective effort of the Founding Advisory Board, of which you were a wonderful part while you were busy with a new child. But uh, starting the podcast, you get all that credit. And thank you all for listening. And if you want to dive deeper into AI and inclusive AI, we are hosting here in Seattle on May 12th and May 13th, the Inclusive Product Management Summit. And we're going to be talking about uh, building more inclusive products, becoming more inclusive in how you navigate with your stakeholders. And we have a whole day dedicated to inclusive AI. And so you won't want to miss that. It's a great chance to connect with some of the best and brightest in the field and also a chance to learn uh, the future of product management. Uh, we're confident here at the Product Management Center 
that the future is inclusive, and we look forward to bringing that future with all of us, building that future together and today. Thank you all for being here, and have a great week. Take care.